Cocoa Crew Podcast is hosted by Cyber Ears. If you are serious about your podcast hosting needs, you should check out Cyber Ears. Whether you are a podcaster, a radio host, a musician, a narrator, an audiobook author, or simply a school, church, corporation, or anyone else with an audio recording that needs to be hosted or distributed, you should check out CyberEars.com. Unlimited bandwidth, fast, reliable, and rugged servers with no hidden fees. CyberEars, your audio, your terms. It's a blast from the past. Please listen carefully. Welcome to the Coco Crew Podcast. A delicious adventure into the world of retro computing news and information. Featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Hey, you got your Coco 3 yet? Coco. Welcome back, Coco Cruisers, to episode 25. Woohoo! <laughs> We're joined uh, this episode by a couple of ringers. Uh, one, uh, two, well, both have been on the show before. Uh, Mr. Boise Pete. Hello, Boise. Hey, John. How's it going? <laughs> good, good. And uh, from coming to us all the way from uh, from uh, the halls of Glenside, <laughs> Mr. John Mark Mobley. How are you doing, John Mark? Hello, everyone. I'm doing fine. <laughs> awesome. And, of course, uh, uh, we're joined by our, our normal, uh, uh, former friend of the show and co-host, Mr. Mike Rowan. Hello, Mike. Hello, everybody. My uh, voice is kind of rough because I was screaming at a Justin Bieber concert last night. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is understandable. <laughs> it's you can talk at all. Uh, and, of course, Mr. Neil Blanchard. Hello, Neil. Hello, John, and everybody listening. Yep. And I, of course, am uh, uh, John Linville, as I mess up my own name. <laughs> All right. So welcome back, everyone. Uh, we are uh, progressing through the year again now. Uh, and our next Cocoa Fest is uh, coming up in uh, just 10 months. It is official. There will be another Cocoa Fest. It's uh, already been booked, is my understanding. Isn't that right, John Mark? That is correct. Yeah, we're already awesome. booked. And, um, that's going to be, what, April 21st, 22nd of 2018. I'll be in the announcements in a little bit. And, of course, the Tandy Assembly, uh, I was counting down. It should be four, but I was thinking it's closer to three months away. Wow. So because <laughs> so it's going to be the end of June, so July, August, September, and then it's the beginning of October. So we're either four or three months away from Tandy Assembly, depending on how you want to count that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's coming along. Well, this is our um, first official summer show. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. It is officially summer now. Yeah. Uh, so what's everybody been up to? Anybody got uh, cool projects going on? Uh, I've I've been working on something. Uh, what's that? Speaking of Tandy Assembly, I'm trying to get prepared for it. And uh, by three months away, that's really not a lot of time. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm working on a Tandy 1000 EX and HX computers. And I'm trying to convert the plus card bus system into a regular ISA so I can adapt a uh, XT IDE controller to it. So I'm trying yeah. to make up a, a cable adapter for it. Oh, that's oh cool. you're trying to build the adapter? 
Yeah, trying to build the adapter. Oh, that's cool. Well, I think it's mostly it's mostly just rewiring, right? Or just pin to pin kind of stuff. There's not a that's right. Uh, there's no yeah. magic connector or anything. The <laughs> that's tricky cool. part is uh, just trying to find the right uh, you know the right connectors, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not. Who knows why Tandy did that? Uh, uh, the different, and, and it's different from PC104 too, right? That's that was right. another ISOBUS standard that was ISOBUS in a different, in a non standard yeah. <laughs> format. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool. Uh, I guess those are pretty hard to come by. They had those cards back in the day, but they're probably pretty hard to come by these days, right? Yeah, and that's what I was reading. I, I I've never even seen one show up online, so figured uh, try to try to make one instead. Cool, cool. Uh, anyone else got a project going? Mike, you doing anything other than Tandy Assembly Organization? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of putting together. I'm going to put a special display together for uh, Tandy Assembly. So been uh, oh, yeah. pulling in the in the parts for that. So that'll look nice. Uh, um. I went to. Uh, I'll just kind of mention it here today. I went to the event, uh, the first meeting of the uh, Indie Vintage Computer Club meeting. Uh, so uh, we had about fifteen people show up, and uh, that, that was that was a lot of fun. Pretty interesting. Uh, I was surprised that most of the people weren't local. Uh, we had people from Illinois, Kentucky, and Ohio there. So, well, it's all one state anyway, right? It's all kind of. <laughs> That's flyover country, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Cool. Um, uh, Boise, John, Mark, what about you guys? You doing anything cool these days? Yeah, so I've been uh, haven't been doing too much cocoa stuff uh, lately. Been focusing on work, work, and uh, getting ready for my PhD comprehensive exams in August. Ooh, Doc, can you take a look at this for me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a doctor yet, but I'll take a look anyway. <laughs> oh, Lord. And, uh, John Mark, what about you? I've been working on a series of 32-bit math routines for the Tandy Color computer. Uh, they're, well, they're math, logic, and shift routines. Um, I'm making pretty good progress on it. I, I need to do some serious testing to make sure I've worked all the bugs out. Um, it's thought that they might be used for the network interface for controller for some kind of a driver for the Coco. Hmm. Cool. Very exciting. Yeah, I wish I had anything quite that exciting to say. I've got uh, some ideas for software to, to develop and game stuff or whatever, but unfortunately they remain just kind of ideas. Uh, <laughs> you have to actually write some code once in a while or else they just stay as ideas. Um, so I need to get over that little hump. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was, uh, I've got a couple of well, other ideas for some hardware stuff, but, again, nothing that's really popping out. So I should just hush and move on, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> how about eBay acquisitions? Anybody pick up anything cool lately? Okay. Uh, I, haven't had, I haven't had a chance to play with it, but I picked up one of those uh, RS-232 uh, – you got one, too. The, uh, oh, yeah. It's got yeah, the, the Wi-Fi. Uh, it basically gives you like an AT uh, Hayes modem connectivity through the RS-232, but it lets you link over uh, Wi-Fi. Pretty neat. Yeah. 
you know, those things, they, they sell out the media as soon as they're available. <laughs> the guy keeps making them, hopefully, for a while. What does he use for that, Mike? I'm, I'm having trouble understanding how you use it. What do you do? Well, you, let, you can plug it into your computer and, uh, you know, use like a terminal emulation to talk to it like you would a Hayes modem, right? So you could issue, issue ATDT commands, except you can put an IP in instead of a phone number. Oh, okay. I got you. And you could, you could, you know, you could connect out over the, the network nice, that way. Nice, nice, right. So basically you're replacing the old dial-up modem with an IP address. Cool. Right, yeah. right. I think DriveWire has a similar capability, if, if I'm not mistaken. But right. uh, Yeah, that's something Aaron Wolf had put in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's, that's um, that item is getting a lot of talk in the retro circles these days. Uh, so seems to be, you know, it's cool. It's just a, it does that one thing, and it doesn't try to dress it up with a bunch of extra add-ons or whatever. It sort of does that one thing, and and it sounds like it works. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's Wi-Fi, so that's um, nowadays that nobody has uh, their wired Ethernet uh, laying out anymore. So uh, it's kind of a nice wow. uh, advantage there. Yeah, that's so that's cool. A, I wouldn't it's say about an inch and a half square. You know, and it's connected to a DB25. So uh, I missed the second run of that. Yeah, you, you finally got one, right, Neil? No, no, I got the email. Oh. I'm on the list, and and I went. Oh, you still didn't get one? And they were gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I don't know. You know how useful are they? Well, how useful is any of this stuff? But it kind of sounds fun and looks like it's got potential. You know. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Well, so um, yeah, I picked up. Uh, well. Uh, my usual drib drab of things. I did. Uh, I picked up a copy of Sam Sleuth PI from Computerware for the Coco. Uh, haven't got that yet, but I did pay for it. So hopefully that'll come in and give me a little adventure game. I guess uh, looks kind of cool. And um, let's see. Um, well, I did uh, pick up kind of a, a one of my not quite holy grail but whatever sort of items um a commodore super pet which is uh basically it's a commodore pet that somebody's gone and added a, a 6809 processor to then in the process they added a bunch of uh, 6809 programming languages uh, along with it so it can do programming on it in apl or fortran or basic or pascal or of course assembly cobol i think as well Anyway, I did get it in, um, plugged it in, and it seems like the uh, the power transformer is shorting out. But I uh, uh, haven't lost all hope yet. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, once I get the power situation straightened out, then uh, the video did come on and had some characters on it. It looked like maybe it needs uh, some video RAM uh, uh, attention. But um, I'm hoping to have a, a nice little 6809-based machine there. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, that'd be anyway, nice. yeah, it's pretty nice. I'm pretty proud of that. It looks pretty good. I mean, it's not it's not showroom quality or anything, but overall, it looks pretty good. Um, but yeah, um, that's about all I've got in terms of acquisitions uh, worth talking about, at least. So, <laughs> anyone else? No. All right. Well, that's probably a good enough intro for today uh, for this show. So. Why don't we take a little break and hear from one of, one of our uh, many sponsors that sound like Mike Rowan and uh, <laughs> be back in just a few minutes. <laughs> 
Tandy Assembly offers attendees a unique opportunity to meet and interact with other fans of Radio Shack and Tandy computers from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Something new is here. Speakers include TRS-80 creator Don French, author of Star Trek III and Dog Star Adventure Lance Miklas, and game designer Scott Adams of Adventure International. Vendors include... Bartlett Labs, Cloud9, Neal's Computer Service, Retro Innovations, Retro Tinker, and Strongware. Meet podcasters from Floppy Days, the Coco Crew Podcast, TRS-80 Trash Talk, and YouTube sensation, the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. Join us for two days of retro computing fun in Chillicothe, Ohio, October 7th and 8th. For more information, visit our website at www.tandyassembly.com. All right, welcome back. Now it's time for some announcements. You're listening to the Coco Crew Podcast. Uh, we are available on Twitter as at Coco Crew Podcast. That's all one word. Uh, We're also available on Facebook. We have a group called The Coco Crew Podcast, which is all separate words. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, we just like it uh, that way. Um, those are both good ways to get in touch with us, uh, outside of the show send your comments and complaints or, you know, whatever. Uh, we are available. The podcast itself is available on iTunes, uh, uh through Google play, uh, for downloads, uh, and, and then, uh, also available on Stitcher and TuneIn for streaming. Uh, the Coco Broadcast is a member of the Throwback Network. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Throwback Network, it is a a uh, list of retro themed podcasts, uh, many of which are technology oriented, some of which are 80s culture or other kind of whatever you might consider retro oriented. Uh, if you're looking for another podcast to occupy some of your time when you can't hear the, the Coco Crew, then uh, do check out the Throwback Network. Similarly, we are listed on the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. This is another list of podcasts. All of these are technology-oriented. They uh, centered most directly around um, uh, home computers and home game consoles from the 80s and maybe 90s. <laughs> anyway, so again, if you're looking for another uh, technology or game-oriented podcast, do check out the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. Audio for the Coco Crew podcast is hosted as hosted by Cyber Ears. Uh, if you have a reason to host audio on the internet, uh, then I suggest you check out cyberears.com where you will get your audio on your terms. If you'd like to reach out and uh, via email to the Coco Crew podcast, we have uh, several addresses available. To reach um, all of the the regular hosts at the, that's uh, me and Neil and Mike, you can use show at cococrew.org, podcast at cococrew.org, or feedback at cococrew.org. Uh, if you want to reach out to one of us individually, uh, you can uh, send to John J O H N at cococrew.org, Neil N E I L at cococrew.org, or Mike M I K E at cococrew.org. If you want to reach out to John, Mark, or Boise, uh, well, you're on your own. But if you <laughs> if you send to the show uh, email, then we'll make sure they get the message. <laughs> Those are our standard announcements. Um, but we also like to include uh, pointers to some uh, uh, 
real life events or meat space events um, that are related to the hobby. So uh, here's the ones for this this month. Um, we're going to start off with Kansas Fest 2017. Of course, Kansas Fest is an Apple II event. Uh, the Apple II geeks from around the world together at Rockhurst University in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, spend a week like summer camp uh, talking about Apple computers, uh, Apple IIs and threes, and maybe occasionally an old Mac or and some other retro computing stuff. Uh, they've had an invasion by Atari folks for a while. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went. It's a pretty cool event. This year, they did have to announce a cap of 100 attendees due to uh, just the logistical constraints of the facility they were using. Uh, and they did reach that mark. They are full. 100, 100 people attended Kansas Fest or will attend Kansas Fest on July 18th to 23. So not much point in announcing that now, but just in case you've registered and forgotten, <laughs> it's coming up <laughs> in the month of July. <laughs> um uh, let's see. Also, later in July, July 29th to 30th, um, uh, 2017 is the Commodore Vegas Expo version 13.0. Uh, looks like a cool event if you are a retro computing enthusiast or along the lines of Commodore uh, interests. Um, maybe I am now. I have that super pet, but uh, it's mostly uh, I see uh, Commodore 64s and Vic 20s and that sort of thing. And Link has a picture of a guy with a bag on his head. I'm not sure what that's about, but it has a Commodore logo on it. <laughs> um, and it's in Vegas. How bad could it be, right? And just remember, it's a dry heat. Uh, so <laughs> that's coming up July 29th and 30th of this year uh, at the Plaza Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. All right. And the next from there. Um, Oh, yes, Coleco Expo, August 5th to 6th, 2017. Now, this is the one that we haven't quite figured out. It's uh, Coleco, which includes not uh, presumably includes Coleco Vision and, and some other kind of electronic toys and stuff from the 80s, but also includes Cabbage Patch Kids and whatever else. Uh, it does I, call seem it, to... I call it Sophie Reynolds Fest. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it <laughs> includes... Sophie Reynolds is um, an actress from the Gamers Guys to pretty much everything, and mostly Ghostly Three, One Night in Doom House. So obviously a, a lovely young actress with a brilliant career already. Um, also, uh, we'll have speaker uh, Tyler Bushnell, who's the son of Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Atari, and Tyler himself is CEO of Polycade, is um, some sort of well, I don't know. Look him up. <laughs> and uh, another speaker, Mark Toman, uh, CEO of River West Brands, whatever that is. Anyway, don't know if you should go for the speakers. Uh, it is in August 5th and 6th, somewhere in New Jersey. Um, if you are a Coleco fan, you probably want to check it out. Or if you're a Sophie Reynolds fan. That same day, on the opposite side of the country, VCF West 12, that's Roman numeral XII, uh, this is, um, you know, this is a vintage computing festival event. Um, I've never been out to this one. It is at the Computer History Museum in Mountain View. I have been there. It's a pretty cool site. Um, I'm sure, similar to the other VCF events, it'll be a great opportunity to see a lot of old computers, some more functional than others, uh, doing uh, cool or at least interesting things from the past. Yeah. Um, 
I know our, our friend of the show, uh, Tim uh, Lindner, has uh, been part of that event. I'm not sure if he's going to be this this year or not. But um, anyway, if you're out on the West Coast, uh, California, uh, and looking for something to do in August, I think this is probably a good site for you. Yeah, I want to just drop in real quick. Tim and I were there a couple of weeks ago when I was at WWDC. And uh, it's a very nice museum, by the way, just to go and oh. check it out. It's extremely extremely well well made and just a fantastic place to check out yeah definitely a, a cool place we should make a pack to uh hit the west next next year definitely <laughs> maybe so so next on this schedule um vcf midwest 12 this with with arabic numerals uh september 9th 10th of 2017 uh, this, of course, will be held at uh, 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 Elk Grove Village, Illinois, uh, near Chicago. Another VCF event. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, uh, like I said, it's an opportunity to see lots of old computers. And uh, we went to this event last year. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're in the, the Midwest or Chicago area and you're interested in the hobby, it's a definitely a good thing to go and check out. Um, and, and that's, I've got nothing else. So <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. All right. Now coming up, drum roll, drum roll for the next one. The next one, October 7th and 8th, 2017 hosted in Chillicothe, Ohio. We're talking about Tandy assembly. This is the stop that you should be banking. If you're a Tandy computer enthusiast, whether you're a fan of, the uh, the model one, two, model one, three, four, the model two, twelve, sixteen, six thousand, pocket computer, the Tandy one thousand, or of course the color computer. You should be making your making plans to make your way to Chillicothe, Ohio, in early October 2017 for the first the inaugural Tandy assembly. This should be a cool event. Uh, so the guys on the program here keep telling me. Uh, <laughs> um, we're you don't want to miss it. <laughs> no, we're making pretty good progress on the website. Uh, we are ready to hear from people who are interested in, uh, well, obviously, in, in exhibiting. I think we're ready to hear from people who are interested in, in, in possibly speaking. Um, I'm not sure there's a form for speakers yet. Um, send an email to tandyassembly at gmail.com if nothing else. Um, there is, there should be forms for exhibitors and, um, yeah, there's a little map of that, uh, Mike has put together for us showing what the exhibitor floor should look like. Um, it's a cool site. I think it's going to be a cool event. I'm hoping to get uh, a, you know a big group of uh, Tandy folks from all around and and cross pollinate between the Z80 folks and the and the T1000 folks and of course the Coco folks and even the Parker computer folks uh, or whatever else uh, uh, might show up. Uh, I think it's going to be a cool event. If you're listening to this podcast, you definitely should have it on your schedule. <laughs> all right. Let's see, coming in December, December 3rd and 4th of 2017, uh, this is uh, Neil's event, World of Commodore 16. You know, it's a Commodore event, but it's uh, up there in uh, in Toronto, as they say. That's right. <laughs> and uh, Neil Neil tells us it's a cool event. What do you, what do you think of this event, Neil? Yeah, it, it is cool. I mean, uh, why do they call it Commodore 16? Is it a bunch of 16-year-olds? 
No, it's just World of Commodore. The World of Commodore 2016 is what it says on the website. Oh. Yeah, that's not uh, it's, mm-hmm. that's not updated. They're no. uh, they're slacking on that web page. Yeah, <laughs> it's, not, it's not supposed to have a number. Huh. It's, just, it's just World of Commodore. Okay, I'm I'm not sure where I got the 16. I guess I was under the impression that it was you know the one after 15, but. <laughs> Yeah, they're, uh, I think they're a little behind on that page, but uh, it definitely still is going, so uh, don't let the website uh, fool you. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's the first Saturday of every December, so it's very easy to remember the date, um, but it, it's a good time. I mean, even you know, even if you don't like Commodore, if you're in the area, it's it's good to check it out, and uh, <laughs> I was thinking of you, John. I mean, now with the Super Pet, I mean, you're definitely, uh, you know, you'd be welcome to come for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's enough room. I just open up the super pet and then just shove a few things inside the case and then close it back down and nobody would know what happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Almost well, up, anyway, if you if you are in the uh, the uh, the area of Toronto, uh, then go and check out Walter Commodore in December of 2017. All right. Flipping around to to the calendar, flipping over to 2018. Uh, the uh, the next big Cocoa event after Tandy Assembly is, of course, will be the 27th annual last Chicago Cocoa Fest coming up April 21st and 22nd of 2018. Um, this is, uh, you know, again, this has been our big event. This is the event we kind of started the, the uh, podcast to help promote. Um, we have uh, had uh, good attendance, good attendance boost the past couple of years. We're hoping to have Similar boost uh, this year. I'd still like us to get to be bigger than Kansas Fest, so we need to get more than 100 people. <laughs> um, and uh, like I said, we're in the same location, Heron Point. Um, and I think uh, the the Saturday evening catered-in meal from the barbecue place has been popular. I think they're planning to do that again. No prices announced just yet. Anyway, planning is just off the ground for next year. Obviously, it's not that it hasn't been that long since the last event, but there will be another event. And if you like Cocoa Fest in the past, then I assume you'll like Cocoa Fest uh, going forward. <laughs> and again, if you're listening to this podcast, you should probably be trying to figure out how you're going to get to Cocoa Fest this year. All right, everyone planning to go to Cocoa Fest? Uh, yeah. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> what is it? Cocoa. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our announcements for this month. So we're going to take another little break and then we'll be back with some news. Turn any color computer with extended basic into a complete disc system with the new FD501 color thin line disc from Radio Shack. Store over 156K of data. Write your own disc programs or use ready-to-run software. The disc operating system is built into the program pack cartridge that connects the disc drive to your color computer. And the FD501 has room to add a second drive, providing an additional 156K of storage. This month only, purchase a two-drive FD501 color thin-line disc system for just $359.95. That's a 25% savings. Apply in-store for a CityLine revolving account and pay as low as $20 per month. The FD501 thin-line disc. Only from Radio Shack. A Tandy company. Your friends are talking, you don't know what they mean. It's all about computers, it's a whole new scene. You want to be a whiz kid, not just another teen. It's basic. Don't you know what I mean? Learn basic, just basic. Otherwise you'll have to fake it. 
program that computer till you get it right. It doesn't matter. Could be day or night. It's basic. Just basic. It's basic. Just basic. Woo! Learn how to use your computer for more than just games with Hot Cocoa Magazine. Hot Cocoa is packed with business application programs, home management help, programming tips and tutorials, product reviews, and more. Subscribe for just $24.97 for 12 issues. That's 30% off the newsstand price. Let Hot Cocoa show you how much time you can save with your color computer. And save even more time with Instant Cocoa, the cassette version of Hot Cocoa Magazine, containing all of the programs that appear in the issue. See the latest issue of Hot Cocoa Magazine for details. Hot Cocoa, available at fine retailers everywhere. And now we're back with some news. <laughs> All right, our first item of news this month, uh, we have uh, a link to Radio Shack Auction Number 1. This is through UBID Estate and Auction Services, LLC. That's the uh, the service or the company that, that um, whoever is disposing of Radio Shack's assets is using to, to do the auctioning. Um, it's not being bid out through eBay, uh, but it is open to the public. You can register to bid and make your bids. It's, um, well, it's a little unclear to me how the shipping will work, but I assume that they'll, f- they'll figure out how to ship stuff to you. <laughs> there are some cool things in the auction. There's some questionable things in the auction, and there's some boxes of who knows what you'll get. <laughs> so, so it's about like any other auction, I guess. But yeah. there are some opportunities to, to buy a couple of signs and a couple of pieces of old artwork and some old magazines. There are some pretty nice-looking old Tandy machines, mostly uh, Model 3s and 4s, I think, and a couple of Model 100s. Uh, I think there was a couple of Cocos and maybe a couple of MC10s in there. Um, and, of course, the the one thing that everybody has said they wanted is the bust of Charles Tandy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's what's that up to now? The price wise, one hundred and fifty dollars. I just oh, know. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of the. Uh, there are some good things out there. Uh, prices are climbing, but uh, most of them seem like they're kind of like at market value. So, not bad. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's a shame that Radio Shack is leaving us. Uh, you know, I guess they're still not totally gone. Is the last I heard, there still be a few stores, but I don't know where they're going to be. Um. Anyway, it's kind of a, another sad chapter in some ways, but at least this gives you an opportunity to uh, to own a few uh, things if you're if you're that broke up about it. <laughs> uh, along those lines, the next link is from, comes from Darren Grant. That's uh, of course we interviewed him a few episodes back. That's Mr. Tandy, uh, currently holding the Tandy mark. Uh, he says uh, General Wireless. Uh, you can tell he's British. He's General Wireless are planning is puts because it's a company. It's plural, whereas an American would probably say General Wireless is planning. <laughs> um, anyway, General Wireless are planning to sell the Radio Shack trademarks to Kensington Technology Holdings LLC for fifteen million dollars, unless a better offer is received. General Wireless will then pay between five to seven percent royalties for using the trademarks. So. Uh, who knows why that makes sense? <laughs> They're going to sell off the trademarks and then pay to use them. I don't know. This is probably some of the same good decision making that got Tandy where it is today. Um, I probably shouldn't be so harsh, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, got Radio Shack where it is today. Tandy is doing fine. I should I should say that and not not be right. so sloppy. 
in my talking. Anyway, uh, it's an interesting piece of news for those who want to follow that sort of thing. So thank you, Darren, for letting us know. Okay, uh, moving on. We have some photos uh, from uh, the Cambridge Dragging Meetup. We mentioned this last time. Uh, some of the uh, UK folks, uh, dragon-oriented uh, people, had a meetup over there in Cambridge. That's one of the prominent uh, university towns there in the UK. You may have heard of it. <laughs> um, anyway, they, they got together, had a little dragon meetup, posted some pictures. Uh, there actually are a few more pictures I, I put farther down. There's some more links to, to pictures from the dragon meetup if, uh, if you really want to look at a bunch of pictures. Uh, so you may want to check it out. So anyway, it's cool. We want to encourage, you know, any of the, the our, our, our fellow hobbyists to get together and, and, you know, swap items and swap stories and swap friendships, fellowship. Uh, it's a cool way to, to, to spend some time, meet some other people that are crazy like you. So <laughs> glad to see those guys getting together. Yeah. It looked like All a right. fun meet. Yeah, it looked, looked, looked like fun. I, I told you I was tempted to, to to fly over there just because I've made that trip out to, <laughs> to Cambridge before. And uh, I thought, oh, I can be cool and just whiz in. But <laughs> I'm sure I would have whizzed in and they would all thought, oh, you moron, why'd you fly all that way for? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. All right, moving on. Uh, we have a link uh, see, from Jamie Cho. And uh, says, I updated my Coke report of uh, Rui Uyama's, U- U- Uyama's, I'm not sure how that's pronounced, mini list. I think we, we had a, a, a similar link from Jamie Cho when he first announced his mini list port a, a month or two back. Uh, so, you know, Jamie's showed up a couple of times with projects that are kind of, you know, impressive little projects for the Coco. Um, he's using the uh, Pierre Sarazen CMARC compiler. Uh, and uh, doing some tools oriented stuff or whatever. I don't know. It's an implementation of the Lisp language. So if you've ever wanted to program in Lisp, you should check out his stuff. He's got it out on GitHub. Uh, So, uh, you know, open source, get it down, program with it. Very cool stuff. Thanks for sharing, Jamie. Very impressed. All right. Um, I don't know who Marquis de Geek is. Uh, <laughs> um, sounds a little self-important, perhaps. But uh, <laughs> um, he says he. Uh, I guess he's. This is his thing, right? Yeah, he's working on um, a port of a Dragon Thirty Two game called Stone Raider Two. Uh, he's rewriting it in JavaScript, so he's you know bringing it to a more modern platform. Um, he's got some links in his little blog entry there. You can download the game. He's also got some pointers to the original game. Uh, uh, yeah, the original source and, uh, and like an interview from the original game author or something like that. Anyway, if you're, if you like these kind of demakes or, or remakes or whatever, I guess it's more of a remake. Um, this could be interesting to take a look, you know, so implementing kind of that old, retro aesthetic uh, in a more modern language. You know, you can tell it's, it's the British one because so you get the black and white rather than the, uh, you know, the, the red, orange or whatever and, and blue <laughs> that uh, you would have if it was the NTSC version of the, of the display. Uh, moving on. All right. So here's one from, um, uh, it's from Ari 
I don't know exactly how you pronounce this. It looks like a Persian name. Uh, hopefully I'm not saying it in any way that's insulting uh, <laughs> or anything. Ari, if, if I'm mispronouncing your name, I'm sorry. That actually, that was, uh, that sounded plausible. Raheem Zadeh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, hopefully that's better. Maybe that makes up for the uh, the butchering I did before. Anyway, he says, remember the micro-adventure books in the 80s? Well, I have the rights to them and built a website, learn to code with basic, enjoy the beta, and please provide feedback. So um, I don't know if you've ever seen these books. I did not know about them in the 80s, but I did find out about them later. I do have a complete set of them. Of course I do, right? Uh, (laughs) If if you remember the Choose Your Own Adventure books from back in the day, um, they're kind of similar to that. They're certainly the same form factor. Um, but in this one, there's no choosing your own adventure, but what you do is you read along in the, so in the thing. And then every once in a while I'll say, well, like early in the book, it says, well, you, you need to fix this program so that you can get past the, the code to, to open the door. And so here, here's the program and you list it out and it looks like this. And so you type in the program and then you have to fix something and run the program so you can get the, the passcode, that sort of thing. That's pretty and so cool. they have a bunch of, Yeah. And so they have a bunch of basic programs throughout the book is designed so that you type them in and and it augments the story or whatever. There are about 10 of these, I think. And then there was a, I've heard that there's a related couple of series that one's more of like a magic fantasy kind of version. And then one's another, I'm not sure ghosts and goblins or something like that. (laughs) Anyway, um, it's a neat, it's kind of a neat thing. You might want to look for these books on eBay, if nothing else, but he's kind of taking it a step further where you can basically have the, the contents of the book. And then he's got a website and you can kind of type in the basic programs on the website in this uh, emulated machine that I, th- I think is probably Apple soft or something like that. But um, anyway, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. You might, you might want to check that out. It's a gives it a chance gives a chance for everybody to check it out that's right if you're a fan of basic uh whatever then uh definitely go check it out so okay moving on here's somebody else's project that's uh, it's a little weird but <laughs> it says welcome to my chip 12 and chip 12 basic compiler page so what is chip 12 so it's, so i don't know if you're familiar with it. there was a, a a programming environment back in the day called chip 8 uh, which defined kind of a, a simplistic um, um, graphics environment. I think it was basically specified for the 1802, like on the Cosmic Elf, the, the 1802 RCA processor. Um, and uh, But the Chip 8 kind of survived as sort of a an interpreted uh, target that uh, I think some calculators used Chip 8 and you, so people kind of have passed around Chip 8 games over the years. I know a couple of years ago there was somebody who was working on a Chip 8 interpreter for the Coco, and I think they got pretty far along with it and then just sort of dropped it, or maybe they just dropped out of the community. Um, anyway, if you're looking for Chip 8 for the Coco, I might still have that code around somewhere. <laughs> Send me an email. Um, but so this is Chip 12, and so the story there was somebody, they started with Chip 8, and then they kind of did their own enhancements. 
came up with the, what they call chip 12 and then I guess they've moved on and now that you can do basic in chip 12 and so you can see some of the um, stuff that they were able to write with it and run and I guess they've got it this is all stuff running on DOS anyway it's not really Cocoa at all but it's it's the kind of project that you might do and start messing with a language and extend and, and whatever and you know, start with uh, <laughs> Jamie Cho's uh, mini list program and, and start in, in enhancing the language as you see fit or whatever I don't know not, not just everyone's going to do it but it's kind of a cool project so that's why I included it <laughs> alright well moving on uh, another, what, what is this all about? So ZX Uno version 4.2, 512K. So what is this? Um, let's see. Why is it? Yeah, so this is an implementation of, it's an FPGA board designed to run an implementation of the ZX or ZX Spectrum. Um, same size as a Raspberry Pi and will fit into a Raspberry Pi case. Um, so if you're one of these uh, folks that's that's turned on by FPGA, um, you know, Cocoa projects, whether you're re-implementing Cocoa 1 or 2 or re-implementing Cocoa 3 or implementing your own idea of a Cocoa 4 or whatever, it's one of the recurring problems that the people point out in those projects is, well, okay, but you've got a board and it just looks like a board and I want something that looks like a computer. And so, you know, first step, take your board, put it in a case of some sort. Well, here you go. Is is uh, It's already got the FPGA packaged up into a board that can fit into a certain kind of case. And you've got an output for audio and an output for video and output for an, a, a controller. Anyway, my point being is some of these problems are already solvable. You just need to look <laughs> look at things a little differently. Um, this is not a ZX Spectrum program, uh, so, uh, you know, this isn't a perfect fit for Cocoa, but, you know, maybe you could uh, go off of this idea, or maybe you could even use the same hardware and re-implement a Cocoa on top of it. I think what do you think? Challenge. I think it'd be a challenge. Uh, I'm wondering how they map the keyboard on a Spectrum for this thing, if it's using, like, a PS2 or a USB keyboard. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's some some uh, of that sort of thing to to to, to map out or figure out. Sure. There's only one line number. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, started the start of the video there. That that that. Uh, anyway, uh, so the next item on the the thing is uh, it's got it listed as decode demo. So this is the project from Wayne Campbell. Where it, so he's got a, a many year project. It's like his uh, he must have taken it as his his cross to bear for the world is to uh, figure out how to take a compiled basic 09 code and um, deconstruct it back out to usable source. <laughs> and it's kind of I, mean, I think it's pretty cool that uh, you can do that. That he gets as much uh, uh, usefulness out of out of that. Um, and uh, there are tools that were, um, you know, there were similar tools available, like for Java, where you can take a JVM or, you know, a Java, a .java file, and it'll kind of reparse it back out into something that resembles a, a readable uh, Java source file. Um, and so it's kind of along the same lines where you're kind of decompiling something 
um, kind of recover lost source code, that sort of thing. But it's for basic 09. So I think uh, I think that's pretty cool. I, I've never delved very deeply into basic 09. I know it has some nice Pascal-like features or whatever. Um, biggest thing being that you just don't have to use line numbers. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, if you really wanted to, you could probably take basic 09 and revitalize it as a scripting language and um, call it DevOps 09 or something like that, and people would be all over it. You know, <laughs> yeah, Wayne has been working on this for a long time. This is, you know, I can remember Wayne was working on this probably 20 years ago, and uh, yeah. he's definitely the authority on basic 09 internals. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. I remember at one point having some curiosity there. Not enough to actually be able to, to delve in and contribute to the problem, but just sort of a, huh, how does that work? Um, so pretty cool. Um, like you say, I mean, it potentially could give um, some more life. Like like you take the what he's learned to be able to dis disassemble all this stuff or de decompile it. You could probably use that to re-implement a basic 09 runtime that, that runs on top of a modern Linux or, or Windows or whatever. And you could uh, you could probably write basic 09 programs that would be useful uh, on a modern computer. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, um, so some, somebody needs to pick up that torch. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's an under underrated uh, language. <laughs> you ever do any basic 09, John Mark? Um, very no. minimal. Very, very minimal. Um, I think uh, Christopher Hawks wrote something called Icon Basic. And I dabbled with that a little bit, and it was uh, running in Basic 09. Yeah, that was kind of a gooey front end for Basic 09. Cool. <laughs> All right. So the next four, I'm going to gloss over a little bit. Um, but then we have four uh, new developments from Jim Geary. Um, let's see. We got the uh, Arabian Rhapsody retro game. See, that was uh, a port to the MC10 from a NEC PC, uh, NEC PC6001 program. Um, we've got Deflect by Tinyon. I don't know what that is. Um, again, again, it's a, let's see, a game port of the MC10, also from the PC6001. Um, and then um, Master Maze. <laughs> he always puts kind of funny music on his videos. Um, Master Maze, this is something taken from Compute Magazine, 1983, February 1983, that he's ported to the MC10. And uh, let's see, one more, um, Computerized Astronomy Program from Creative Computing, March 1982. Um, to, uh, Ursa Major. <laughs> Uh, the big bear. Um, so anyway, it's cool. Jim's uh, been up to his usual hijinks there, uh, porting uh, programs to the MC10 and basic. Nice to see that that continues. And, uh, you know, like you say, if um, try them out on your MC10, uh, if you're hot for them on the cocoa, maybe if you put a bug in Jim's ear, he'd probably port them over to the cocoa for you, or you could try to do it yourself. Um, it's always good to see Jim out there working in the community and doing some cool stuff. And, you know, what I like about Jim's projects is, you know, 
then he doesn't bite off more than he can chew. You know what I mean? He, it, they're usually kind of small projects. Um, you know, they're not earth shattering, uh, you know, amazing, whatever, blah, 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 you know, full of hyperbole games or whatever. They're just kind of fun. You know, he just has fun and he enjoys himself. And uh, I just see that kind of plodding along uh, in the community. So, He's also very consistent. Healthy. He's very consistent and puts out just a steady stream of work, which you got to admire that. Yeah, yeah, definitely cool. All right. Well, so moving on, uh, an update from Glenn Hewlett. Oh yeah, this is um this is the one where he's got the side by side of uh, his uh, Coco Three version running in Mame and the uh, original um, uh, Pac Man ROMs running in Mame. And, uh, you know, running like demo mode or whatever. And you can watch, and they're doing exactly the same thing. Uh, if, if you watch it long enough, you can notice that there's a slight timing difference. Um, and it's because of the, the timing of the, the 60 hertz uh, interrupt or whatever. But, you know, it kind of proves the point. He really is running, you know, a translation of the, you know, a, a very faithful translation of the assembly code. <laughs> very impressive. You guys take a look at that? I did, and I'd like to also make an announcement here. Uh-oh. I had some really good news with this project. Uh, I responded to one of Glenn's uh, posts on, a, on the Cocoa List the other day. Uh, he was looking for some joysticks, and when I noticed he's a Canadian, I, which I had no idea, I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll mail him some because it'll be pretty cheap, right? And uh, yeah. then two days ago, uh, Thursday morning, I get an email from him. And boy, what a surprise email that was. Yeah beta copy of his game and uh i booted that up on a real coco uh coco 3 512k and uh that plays it plays nice wow that's great that's awesome yeah great so it's about 95 percent done awesome yeah cool thanks glenn Mm -hmm. i've been i've been admiring this project so great stuff yeah Yeah, very cool Uh, you know it's that 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 approach the same approach that that sogmaster took with donkey kong you know the actual right like a binary translation and uh, pretty impressive. I wonder how does it compare to the uh, Nick Marentis Pac-Man? Uh, um, well, this this one's more arcade-like. I mean, uh, you know, Nick, Nick's is pretty arcade-like as well. But uh, having played the arcade version quite a bit back in the day, like well, I'm sure most of you guys have, and most of our listeners, um, it's it's the real deal. Did, didn't Glenn? Yeah. Uh, didn't he do some kind of virtual scrolling? Yes. Yeah. Right. And, and Nick tr- Nick compressed the, the screen for the aspect ratio of the Coco, so it looks that, a little yeah. squashed, so it's a little different in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, where this cool. actually moves. Like, you'll see the screen actually shift. So when you yeah, go I noticed screen, that. It, yeah. Which, I mean, I, I guess that could be distracting, but uh, you know, it didn't look too bad in the video. No, no, it, it actually wasn't bad. I was playing it for about an hour straight, and uh, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Glenn Hewlett's uh, uh, email that I was mentioning. Uh, okay. He want he want I'm going to be sending the email to you guys. He wants you to try it as well. Oh, cool. So I noticed when uh, Mike Yay. was just saying he'd like to try it out. Well, you can you could try it out tonight. <laughs> All right, sweet. <laughs> yeah. Get that Coco Three fired up. Cool. <laughs> All right. The one thing I I did forget though is uh, how hard the arcade version is. Holy smokes. <laughs> you know, when you play the console version, they're definitely dumbed down. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, I got to the second cutscene, but that was tough. <laughs> wow. 
Cool. Look forward to trying that one out. All right. Well, moving on. Good job, Glenn. Um, this one is uh, a lean, this is for a Z80 based Raspberry Pi lookalike. <clears throat> so this is kind of along the same lines as the, the ZX uh, FPGA thing I was talking about before, where um, in this case it's a Z80 uh, homebrew machine that uh, somebody's packaged up, but they've done it in a way that it fits into a Raspberry Pi case. And so I guess I'm kind of hitting on the same theme there. It's like, you know, if you if you are going to do something new and custom, you know, if you take a little care, you can you can leverage an existing uh, economy of scale. Uh, and so, if you've got something that could fit into this form factor, then if you make your your uh, your new uh, board fit into the Raspberry Pi form factor, then uh, you've already got a supply of cases, in, in quarter, including different types of cases. And so anyway, it's kind of a neat project. It's neat just because it's a little Z80, you know, retro-ish kind of project that somebody's built up. Um, but like I said, in my case, I like the uh, the Raspberry Pi form factor. What do you think? Is that a good way to build a, an old uh, a project for, uh, for retro stuff? Yeah, it sounds for like sure. it'd be fun. Sounds great. If uh, you hear me stuttering, is somebody has decided that uh, that uh, uh, nine o'clock on a Saturday night is a good time to either set off fireworks or shoot shotguns or something in the neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I've got the same thing behind me here. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hopefully it's fireworks. Yeah, well, let's hope it's fireworks. But <laughs> I'm not quite sure. You'd think I'd be used to hearing people shoot at me, but. Well, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, the next one. So we have a link from um, Matteo, Matteo Oliviero, uh, Matteo Trevisan. Um, Matteo uh, is one of the uh, people uh, from the Retro Challenge. He actually was uh, named him one of the winners uh, uh for the retro challenge in fact he's the one that got the uh, the steve strobridge uh, uh cocoa videos and i guess he took that to heart just been trying to learn more about the cocoa <laughs> and so he's been poking around a little bit in the cocoa uh, facebook groups or whatever and uh, he's had a couple little projects that uh, uh, i think they're basically ports of some apple II stuff that he's done and he's moved over to the cocoa so that's cool and some of them are, some of them are basic some of them might be assembly language i'm not sure Anyway, he posted one he seemed pretty proud of. Uh, it's uh, He's got a, a piano, uh, so a little noisemaker kind of program uh, where you can play notes on the keyboard. And uh, so anyway, you know, like I said, it's not it's not a mind-blowing project, but it's kind of cool and uh, good to see people active in the community. And so, uh, so yeah, I included the link. post that. Yeah, pretty cool. All right. So moving on, this is from uh, Paulo Garcia uh, coming through the uh, Vintages, the new old website. Um, how people used to download games from the radio. Um, and this is mostly, uh, and it's a link to another uh, site out in Kotaku, UK or something. I don't know much about that, but it's not entirely up to date. It just is, his link is kind of new. Uh, he's kind of got a new link to an older article, I guess is what it amounts to. But anyway, if you've never heard of it, it's kind of neat to think that uh, at some point uh, people were actually putting out downloadable content via the <laughs> via the, the radio. And so can you imagine, it's bad enough to imagine 
oh my that cool song is coming on the radio let me let me hover over my cassette tape uh and press record at just the right time so i can hear michael jackson play beat it um but imagine <laughs> hovering over the, the your cassette tape so that you can press record at just the right time so that you can record york's popcorn or, or something like that <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome <laughs> So, so like I said, it's for a different computer or whatever, but it's cassette-based stuff. It would have probably worked for the Coco as well. We need to try that now. Yeah. <laughs> don't get a little transmitter. And, uh, well, you can just we can try tucking something into the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That would definitely work. I wish you yeah. get Boise to do that on field day there with his ham for right. friends. Oh, do, yeah. do what? The, what's that, John? <laughs> Broadcast a cassette file over uh, the radio. Oh, yeah, yeah. That actually would be cool, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's something that, that would probably actually work. Uh, yeah, something to try. My, yeah. I don't know if that is that is that actually legal to do. Uh, I know that there are restrictions on the kind of information you can pass through yeah, uh, the ham radio channels, but anyway. I'm not sure. I think they're, I think probably if you put it on a digital mode, uh, uh, frequency, yeah, that's you know, true. Something like yeah. that, for packet radio, yeah. that should probably be fine. Technically it's a digital, it's a digital mode. I mean, really. Right. So, yeah. right. so you know, I heard the, the, the total sidetrack, but I, I hear that they've discontinued WeFax. In fact, some time ago, I was kind of disappointed by that. So they don't do WeFax uh, transmissions uh, like they used yeah. to do. That, that died in the nineties. Wow, man. John, you're way behind. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> I remember because yeah, I used to do WeFax stuff with uh, what was the program that uh, Graphic Goodman wrote that, that right? Yeah, yeah. And that was pretty cool. You could download uh, weather uh, maps, yeah, and, stuff. Yeah. and that cool, was really man. awesome. And over your shortwave, and uh, yeah, that that, uh, that dried up in the '90s. That that was Graphicon. Oh well, uh... yeah, it was a little utility that was part of the Graphicon package. Oh, that's cool. You know, now I have to go back to using the internet to download my weather information. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. So oh, how inconvenient. <laughs> oh, well. All right. Well, let's move on. Let's see. We've got adding character to the C64. This is uh, from Lewin Day via Hackaday. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Um, anyway, uh, so this guy, it, it's, this link is to someone, well, Frank Buss, who actually was also someone I know through Retro Challenge. Uh, he's a kind of a Commodore guy, um, but he's taken one of these uh, LCD displays uh, that you see that are used in a lot of projects built around the Hitachi HD44780. So it's like a standard. It's like almost every LCD display is built around the same chip, <laughs> and and they they come in different you know widths and heights and whatever. Um, and, but they're apparently pretty easy to interface to and people use them, you know, with, with AVRs and picks and, um, whatever. So in this case, he's got one hooked up, uh, to a Commodore 64. Anyway, if you can do it with a Commodore 64, you should be able to do it with a Coco. If that appeals to you, being able to drive a little LCD display, um, then hook it up to your Coco. Let's show it. Let's see it at Tandy Assembly or at Coco Fest. I think that'd be cool. <laughs> also, the um, on YouTube, there's somebody who does, called the Eight Bit Guy, which is it's actually the guy we talked about. Uh, kind of got uh, he, he did a little refurb of a Coco, and then kind of got some rude comments about it. 
anyway, um, he also has done some where he's used one of those displays and hooked it up. I think he was hooking up to a Commodore 64 as well. So if you want to learn more, you could go look on YouTube for the 8-Bit guy and see what he's got going on. All right, SN7649MU. Let's see, I forget who posted the link. Let's see, do I have it here? Well, Benjamin Anderson is the person who posted the video here. Anyway, it's an emulator for that chip, and uh, but it's it's like it's got a user interface built around it to make it easy to kind of experiment with the settings for the chip so you can make different tones or whatever. I didn't dig too much into the program. I, I, I'm not sure if it's available for download or not, but it was kind of cool where you could you could kind of set up a little beat pattern and, and it would um, move through different settings for the, the chip registers or whatever. To, so it would be like a, a way to just mess around and, uh, and um, develop audio for the chip. So this, of course, is the chip that's in... Um, you know what I've been calling my Games Master pack, uh, ROM uh, pack or Games Master cartridge that is now available through the through the MAME emulator as well. Um, the one I've been trying to get some game developer interested in, and it's like well, I can't seem to get anybody to actually want to do it. <laughs> I'm not sure why that is. Um, uh, obviously, I have to do it on my own at some point. But um, anyway. I think it's kind of a cool chip. It seems like Simon Jonathan has gotten a little bit in, interested in the chip itself. Um, so at least he's producing some decent content for it uh, to people can get, get an idea of what it sounds like. And uh, probably have to do some kind of developer cartridge for that. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, that's this, definitely. this uh, emulator is a good uh, development tool for getting familiar with it and uh, creating your own sounds. So cool tool. Yep. All right. Well, the next two links come from uh, Steve Strobridge. And so Steve has been doing uh, Steve has uh, his YouTube channel and uh, he does. Uh, well, he does a lot of things, does game reviews. He's uh, been doing a weekly Coco Talk talk show that uh, um, fills in some of those gaps when the, when the Coco crew is not available. <laughs> um, but among other things, he's been working on uh doing tutorials based on the, the basic programming manuals for, that came with the color computer. And so he, he did uh, one recently um, uh, using the get and put commands um, and uh, do some graphics display there. And uh, so anyway, so he's got a video that shows some of that. Um, and then he came back um and has done a, some optimization using what was the option that he was using to the get and put command? Um, uh, I don't have it. You know, fast get and fast put options, which basically they 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 only work if you're if you're if you're operating on certain boundaries of pixels. Basically, a byte boundaries, I think, is what it amounts to, so that you don't have to do funny math. <laughs> at the edges of your your squares or the borders of your squares anyway it's kind of cool it's another one somebody's doing some projects they're trying to and steve's trying to learn more about basic and write some games and that sort of stuff and teach other people in the process and uh, that's what these links are about so if you're interested in basic on the coco check them out who was that i said that's good stuff uh, good yeah. tutorials out there good job yeah, steve. good stuff all right, moving on. The next link's from Ed Snyder, and uh, it's basically he's uh, Ed kind of does this. He gets to a certain point, and he'll post a 
a rendering of a new circuit board or whatever and uh it's kind of a let you know what projects he's working on so he's working on a, a replacement an fpga based replacement for the gimme chip uh ostensibly on the one hand this would uh, be able to a way to repair and coco threes that have a bad gimme because you can't exactly <laughs> they're, they're a little hard to find these days <laughs> other than raping a, a, a coco three to get one <laughs> um uh, and also, it would be uh, potentially a way to enhance the Coco 3 uh, with a extra graphics mode or whatever else you might be able to squeeze into the Gimme uh, socket. And so you can see he's got, uh, it's pretty, it looks like, well, maybe it's not too big, but it's a, a board that's quite a bit bigger than the, uh, the Gimme chip itself, but then plugs down into the Gimme socket. Um, and uh, I'm not sure, I guess... Maybe those were the uh, the video decks. So there's three large ships out there. I'm not sure what else he's doing there. Uh, or maybe those are uh, bus transceivers. Well, who knows? <laughs> anyway, uh, the idea is to be able to, to um, I guess, along with replacing your gimme, at the very least, he wants to be able to output to a VGA-style monitor. Uh, so I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that are interested in it from that perspective alone. So cool. Nice to keep us informed, Ed. And, uh, happy to see uh, things progressing. Yep, everybody will be watching that one for sure. Okay, well, keying off the gimme thing. <laughs> so we have, um, you know, th this happens from time to time. We have somebody who's kind of just uh, a cocoa person from the past, uh, prominent or not, but uh, somebody who's hasn't messed with things in a while and uh, comes back and says, "Hey." What about this from the past? Anybody ever resolve that or whatever? And, you know, there's a few mysteries that have never been resolved or sometimes it'll be something. Oh, yeah, we all that's all resolved now. But anyway, someone named Jerry Coon comes up asking about the 256 color mode on the gimme chip. Uh, long term listeners know that uh, I have my answer there of what I think it really is. <laughs> and I'm a little skeptical about uh, some of the other stories that are there, but you know, that's just me. Um, anyway, I thought this was interesting because this one actually drew a response from Steve Bjork and, uh, in it, he kind of, in the thread that ensued, he kind of had some, well, a little more definitive statements than what I've seen in the past from Steve, at least. And, May have throw, thrown a few elbows as well. <laughs> um, if you dig down into the replies, uh, Steve maybe threw a couple of elbows towards uh, uh, Mark Siegel. Well, of course, we've had Mark on the show. Um, and, um, well, anyway, you may want to check it out, see what his replies are like. Of course, the link is in the show notes. Um, you need to dig down and, and of course this is on Facebook. If you're not a Facebook member, you probably won't be able to see all of it, but there's only so much I can do there. But, <laughs> uh, if you're interested in the mysteries of the 256 color mode and you want to know every detail, then you might want to dig down in there and, uh, see what, uh, see if there's anything revealed to you. What do you think, Boise? Uh, this is the 256 color mode. I think every community needs a, uh, you know, needs a, uh, right. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly a Bigfoot, right? <laughs> yeah. Nothing to yeah. chase, right? That they can't quite catch. Uh, you know, that's okay. 
<laughs> All right. Well, while I've got you caught out on Facebook here, the next link is, of course, <laughs> from you, Mr. Boise. Why don't you tell us about uh, the game that you were searching for? So back when I was uh, in my teens, I had a game, and I found a game. I don't remember where I got it. Uh, it was called, and I, I didn't even remember the name till recently because I had to get on Facebook to kind of ask around. It was called Striptease, and it's what you think it was, right? It was a game that ran on a Cocoa 1 and 2 and 3, and it had a P-Mode 4 graphic of a what I presume to be a topless woman, uh, but you had to press either the 1, 2, or the 3 key uh, for it to reveal just a little bit of the picture starting from the top down, sort of like a reverse curtain. So you'd uh, start with a completely uh, solid screen with some text, and then if you hit the right key, uh, it would drop down a little bit, and you'd see maybe the top of her, you know, very top of her scalp, and then you go further down. If you hit the next key right, it would show her eyes and so forth. And the idea is that every time you hit one, two, or three, assuming you took the right guess that the computer had uh, given to you, then it would go down, and you would try to work your way down. Of course, I think it was uh, thirteen. No, it was 18, I think, different uh, times you had to basically get that image to where it would be completely done. So uh, over the years, you know, <laughs> I mean, I can remember as a kid, you know, just trying one, two, three. And then, of course, every time you get it wrong, it, the curtain kind of goes back up. So it kind of fills back up. So you can find yourself in this situation where you've, you know, gotten down to the neckline and then the next key press is wrong. And then the next one, you're back to where you started. So anyway. I got on Facebook, asked around about the thing. I just had just an old game I wanted to eventually solve. So somebody, I forgot the guy's name, real nice, though, on Facebook said, this is the game. I played it. I never got anywhere. So I said, you know what? I'm going to download it in the emulator, which I did. And I remembered it after I saw it. So uh, using the uh, main emulator, I was able to go into the debugger and break it just the right time and figure out by looking at the assembly language while the game was running where the one byte change would be to basically bypass the whole random generator thing and just basically every time you hit a key you get the right answer right so <laughs> so after all these years after what 20 something years i was able to see what that damn picture was all about and it was such a disappointment <laughs> yeah <laughs> it turns out it was a dude <laughs> well, that's, that's funny i missed that conversation because i got a copy of that game too oh yeah well i can give like i can give you the poke it's a simple poke and then uh once you do that uh you know that's church you can see everything you want all right <laughs> anyway that was kind of a kind of a little private quest of mine and i'm kind of glad i got it done so a little minor accomplishment. <laughs> the game like that you know it would have to be a poke <laughs> yeah. yeah, so in the Facebook yeah. uh, post there, Mike, just I calculated basically the chances of getting all 18 uh, steps right, you know, one after the other, assuming you selected the right number between one, two, and three. And it was some astronomically, you know, just <laughs> crazy uh, number. It's like you would never get it. So. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. It's uh, part of what this uh, hobby is all about is uh, chasing down the uh, his old uh, enemies or whatever. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally vanquishing the old foes. Well, so, we'll have to do a 
We'll have to do a Coco After Dark edition. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm not sure we want that. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the seedy underbelly of the cocoa world, right? That's right. There's, there's, uh, yeah, there's plenty to be found out there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. Uh, so, um, so this one, uh, the link is from Ron Klein. I'm kind of a co-conspirator here, I guess. Uh, so, games master cartridge, main command line, and demo ROM. So basically, Ron is published on Facebook. Uh, if you want to use, uh, you know, his uh, pre-compiled Windows uh, mess compiled for Windows, um, which the whole mess versus MAME thing is always a confusing thing. So MAME is actually the name of the project, but I guess the way he's built it, he's just building the the drivers that used to be part of mess, and so it produces an executable that's still named mess rather than MAME. Whatever. Anyway. So he's got the command line to run if you want to um, enable my my Games Master cartridge uh, design that I've uh, that I demoed at Cocoa Fest, and then he's um, made available uh, with my permission uh, the uh, the ROM image that I was using at Cocoa Fest. Still, so plays tubular bells and whatever else. Uh, so there you, you've got the, the link here. You can find in the show notes. Uh, you can download the Cocoa Fest ROM and then see his. His main uh, uh, command lines, if you want to be able to play that and get an idea of what this cartridge sounds like, or at least what it sounds like in the emulator, which sounds pretty close to the hardware to me. But um, so anyway, there you go. Uh, moving on, well, this one's kind of neat. <laughs> um, so this is from someone named Will Scullin, and is posting to the Apple II Enthusiast Facebook group. He's got a nice picture. It says, today's electronics flea market find, a ROM emulator set up for Atari 2600 development. Because he's unable to find any docs on it. I think, um, you know, if you if you zoom in, I think you can see a, a logo on the card. Um, you can't see it right now. Um, but um, anyway, so what this is, the card for an Apple II that uh, lets you upload uh, a ROM image using your Apple II that then gets uh, the card, makes it out, makes the signals out to, to plug into an Atari 2600. So if you want to develop an Atari 2600 game on an Apple II, um, this would be the hardware that you would want. So I think that's kind of cool. Um, you could do something similar with a Coco. It's not as obviously a good idea since the Coco um, uh, is using a 6809 processor rather than a 6502 derivative like the the uh, like the Atari does. Although if you were to to uh, if you wanted to work on uh, a uh, a Liber 809 equipped Atari <laughs> machine uh, from a Coco, maybe you could use something like this. There you go. Um, of course, I know. Uh, um, Boise has got the modern uh, ROM emulator that he's used for that, um, right. but uh, it'd be kind of cool if you could do that from a Coco for your 6809 code, don't you think? I'd give that a, a extra point or two on the retro challenge. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, the thoughts. Uh, you know, that was one of the things that was cool going to um, uh, Kansas Fest a couple of years ago. Is hearing. Uh, uh, some of the old time developers, they're talking about things that they had done um, where they'd hooked up um, 
you know, they, they'd use their Apple II as a generic 6502 development box. And then they had hardware that they would like hook up Commodore 64 disk drives to their Apple II, or they'd hook up an, you know, an Atari 2600 to their Apple II or whatever and, and be able to do cross development that way. Sounds kind of cool to me. Anyway, oh, they're shooting at me again, so. <laughs> we can hear them this time. <laughs> uh, so moving on, um, we've got a link to uh, someone who's done, doing some cleanups on their uh, on their Cocoa, just a kind of a generic restoration kind of thing. Uh, is it helpful to anybody? I don't know. But uh, sometimes it's cool just to see what other people are doing when it comes to cleaning up their stuff, see what works for them, and maybe it works for you. Um, or sometimes you just see uh, how much trouble is involved with it, and rather than go into go and go through the trouble of doing the deep clean, you just go ahead and take the hit on eBay and <laughs> sell it dirty. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there, there's your link. You can. Uh, figure out uh, whether that's something you want to do. All right. Our final link. This one is kind of a surprise to me. Now I don't really want to introduce politics here. And if you don't like our current president, then uh, just hold your nose for a minute. It's not really about him per se. The Trump orders government to finally stop working on Y2K bug. The point being is that, you know, the president of the United States in 2017, finally got around to ordering the United States government to quit putting much effort into fixing the, the Y2K bug, into fixing the Y2K bug. <laughs> so um, what do you think of this? Is anyone surprised that the government was still working on Y2K bug problems? That's crazy. I, I didn't even know that they were, <laughs> were doing that still. Yeah, well, so... There might be some reason, you know, what we call the Y2K bug. Um, there's very variants of it that are still out there. There's um, uh, the Unix uh, epoch of time is basically counted in seconds from some some fixed date in 1971, I think. And so the 32-bit the number will roll over in the year 2038. It used to seem like a ridiculous amount of time to expect computers to be uh, <laughs> operating uh, on the same system, but uh, 2038 doesn't look that far away now <laughs> in some some uh, some respects. Um, so the 2038 problem isn't all that different from the Y2K problem. Um, it's uh, not exactly the same, but, you know, it's similar. Um, on top of that, I would have thought after the, the, the big hubbub over Y2K that, that people would have st stopped, permanently stopped writing uh, addresses with uh, two-digit dates. But uh, I think you'll find if you observe people writing, uh, you know, their handwriting, handwritten notes and stuff, uh, quite often you'll still people still reverting back to writing dates with just two digits. And so it's the same kind of thinking that led to the original Y2K problem. Maybe it's unreasonable to expect normal people to uh, <laughs> to adapt uh, uh, to a different kind of logical thinking, but uh, I don't know. So who knows? Um, just to play devil's advocate, advocate, maybe it isn't such a great idea to not work on Y2K bug, uh, you know, whatever. Now, Y2K specifically, 
sure. And we're 17 years past it. Uh, I think we're, we all survived. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, maybe that at least should become some of that stuff should be in, encoded and taught as best practice for um, computer science students of the world, that sort of thing. Hopefully it is. Anyway, well, that's our last item of news for this month. Uh, hopefully that was entertaining. And uh, we're going to take another break, and we'll be back with some feedback. Are you plagued by cassette I.O. errors but can't afford the crazy cost of disk drives? Don't despair. You're not alone. Introducing the TC-8C high-speed cassette system from JPC Products. The TC-8C plugs into the expansion port of your TRS-80 color computer. It's fully compatible with all versions of the color computer, from the standard 4K to the extended 32K. It's fast and reliable. The TC-8C runs at twice the speed of the color computer system, with less than one error per million bits. It works seamlessly with all data types, basic, machine language, and data. Plus, you can attach two cassette drives. Each drive is fully software selectable, and the TC-8C has separate relays on board for independent motor control. The cassette operating system is in EEPROM aboard the TC-8C. Just power on your color computer, and all commands are available to you instantly. No drivers to load. No machine language routines necessary. What could be easier? And for the advanced programmer, the TC-8C also has a second EEPROM socket compatible with 2716 and 2732 EEPROMs. Purchase our optional JBUG monitor on EEPROM or cassette. JBUG provides a 6809 assembler and disassembler, all compatible with the TC-8C. Best of all, the TC-8C provides the advantages and reliability of disk systems at a fraction of the cost. The TC-8C, fully assembled and tested, is just $129.95. Stop leaving your important programming and data to chance. The TC-8C has been in successful operation for more than four years. We don't call it the poor man's floppy for nothing. Experience the difference for yourself. Fast, reliable, affordable. The TC-8C high-speed cassette system from JPC Products. All right, now we're back with some feedback. Um, This is uh, where you guys get to uh, write in and tell us what you think of uh, what we've been doing on the show. We love to hear the feedback, uh, even if it's sometimes uh, less positive or sometimes more positive or whatever. Mostly we like positive. But (laughs) if you do have something critical to say, we'd love to hear that because, you know, we don't want to make you mad. (laughs) Anyway, um, so the first item of feedback today uh, is coming from uh, Curtis Boyle. Um, so he's talking about something I said in the last podcast. He says, I think the Cocoa Link site you were thinking of was Marcus Bloomrich's, a fellow Saskatoonian. I didn't know that's what you call people from Saskatoon, but okay. <laughs> um, which was called TRS-80 and Tandy Color Computer Homepage. Uh, Curtis actually found a, a link to that at the, uh, the, uh, the internet way back, uh, or, you know, uh, archive.org site. Um, and yes, that is exactly the, uh, the, the thing that I was looking for. I think I was comparing that to, uh, Steve Strobridge's uh, link site, which is, uh, uh, you know, the big, uh, uh, page full of links kind of thing, uh, which is not meant to be per, uh, pejorative. Uh, I actually like the page full of links, but anyway, yes, Marcus, uh, that was your site, um, 
and uh, or yes, Curtis, that was Marcus's site. Um, for many years, that was the main site uh, for me to be able to find Coco stuff. I remember occasionally, uh, you know, staring at that in, in the middle of the day when I ought to have been doing some work or whatever and uh, <laughs> tracking down, looking for links to random Coco software or whatever. It was a cool site back in the day. Anyway, so, yes, thanks for pointing that out, Curtis. Okay, the next one's from uh, uh, Kieran Anscombe. Uh, uh, Kieran is uh, the uh, the person behind XROAR. Um, we're talking about uh, using the emulators for development and whether or not uh, you could do debugging. And if you were debugging, did you have to be debugging something in RAM or could you use the debugger in the emulator for something that's in ROM? Uh, which you know you might not be able to do on real hardware because of the way it, uh, breakpoints get inserted. Um, so anyway, his answer here, just to put context to the, his answer, uh, XROAR emulated, yeah, you don't need to be in RAM. Also, trace mode, toggle with Control-V is what I use most of the time, simpler than GDB. Just run XROAR and pipe to less. Uh, then you can use standard regexes, that's regular expressions, to find most things you're interested in. Sometimes you really do have to break out GDB though. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, you basically, uh, hawking some of the, uh, debugging features of XROAR there. Um, so if, uh, if you haven't tried the XROAR, um, emulator, you definitely should, particularly for Coco one and two or dragon stuff. Um, and, uh, sounds like there's some debugging features there that can be, uh, Handy or maybe simpler to use than uh, the, the full debugger, say in Maine. All right, moving on. Our next item of feedback comes from Glenn Hewlett. Waiting for your podcast each month is like what it used to be like back in the 80s, waiting for the next Rainbow Magazine. So we like to hear that kind of thing. Uh, I know we, we've occasionally got comments like that. Do you guys hear like that comment? That's absolutely right. This is, you know, basically a regular thing. I used to run to the mailbox when I was in my teens, just anxious to get that Rainbow Magazine. Now I run to my computer when I see that email saying the podcast is up. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the highest praise I think we could get the podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's the, I like it when we hear the, that comment or variations on it. That definitely is about as high as we're reaching is, is, uh, is to hear that. So very yeah, good. So, thanks for that. Yep. All right. The next item also is, uh, comes from Steve Strawbridge. See on the note of the news and announcements, not only are you keeping everyone informed on a large variety of things going on each month, but you are also providing some much appreciated validation to what people are doing. So Steve, uh, he actually wrote a pretty long uh, a message on the Cocoa mailing list, uh, much appreciated. Um, it's nice to, to, to see his kind words there. Um, in this particular comment I picked out, uh, he's uh, basically saying that, you know, sometimes it's nice when you do a project, it's just nice if somebody notices. <laughs> and so that's part of what our new segments are about is we're just, we're trying to be somebody that notices when you do some, some work there. Um, and uh, so, like I said, not everything that makes our new segment is mind-blowing uh, or amazing or whatever. Some of it's just, hey, yeah, everybody should do that once in a while. Um, but that's what it's about. We're kind of trying to acknowledge people in the hobby, keeping the machines alive and doing cool stuff. So thanks for noticing, Steve. <laughs> Thank you for that. And uh, so this last one comes from Kevin Braun. Um 
it's kind of, he, uh, so he says he bought an MC10 at a weird sale here in Hollywood. Uh, it's not linked here. I think he said something about it. He bought, bought an MC10 from a company that that uh, does props for Hollywood movies or something like that. <laughs> so who knows? He had, may have a famous MC10. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's from Revenge of the Nerds or something. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, so now I'm experimenting with a little guy, and I cannot find documentation on making sounds. I can make it beep, of course, but I need to make game sound effects like a thump, for example. I assume that would require a poking memory or maybe a machine language routine. Can you just point me at some kind of a magazine article or sample code? Well, so I'm not sure how helpful it will be because uh, if you're making it beep, that's probably all the sound it really can do is it's got the one bit uh, audio output. Um, if you're using basic uh, to hit that, then maybe you could do something else to hit it in a similar language um, and do something a little more complex. But uh, anyway, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the Yahoo MC10 Color Computer Club. Um, they have a... a pretty complete site they have a lot of file downloads and and some tutorial stuff so if you want to learn how to program your mc10 um that's probably the best place to go is, is to, to look there and find all the details on what people have done some people have done some pretty cool code uh for the mc10 over the years um you know i wrote a program called uh, xmas rush uh, it's a game that's on both the mc10 and on the coco um that uh i think is pretty cool <laughs> um, but uh, anyway uh, check out the, the Yahoo MC10 Color Computer Club and uh, I think you'll find uh, the information you're looking for or at least the, to the extent that it exists at all alright well thanks Kevin for the feedback Steve, Glenn, Kieran, Curtis uh, it's good to hear from everyone and uh, appreciate hearing from you and so and that's our feedback for this month and then uh, we're going to take another break and uh, We'll be back with uh, the rest of the show. Are you a new high school graduate excited about computer science and technology? Are you a professional just looking for a career change? Then Tandy University is for you. The Neil Brookings College of Color Computer Studies offers a variety of exciting courses designed to give you real-world color computer skills. I chose Tandy University because of their emphasis on the COCO 3 and OS 9. I just finished my associate degree, and I'm well into the four-year degree program. One of the coolest things about the program is that you actually get to build a COCO 2 as a prerequisite to your other courses. So you're really immersed from day one. I received my degree from Tandy University. The Color Computer Studies program prepared me for a fulfilling career developing radar defense software on 6809 platforms. Tandy University professors provide an excellent learning environment both in the classroom and online. No other university provides this depth and focus on the color computer. Our Fort Worth campus is beautiful and modern. We have a very sizable color computer lab. This fall, we will be cutting the ribbon on the new Mark Siegel Memorial Library, which will feature an extensive periodical and book collection. Tandy University is now accepting applications for the 2017 fall session. Our Fort Worth campus offers student dormitories as well as financial and scholarship assistance. It's simply a delight and honor to teach students at Tandy University. Don't miss your opportunity to expand your mind and your career. Call today, 800-LEARN-COCO. Tandy University, where students excel. All right, welcome back. We're going to have a host discussion. Uh, we're actually probably do a couple of those this uh, this month, try something new. 
the first discussion uh, saw a, a, a link somewhere, um, which I didn't record, but uh, saw someone post the notion, that is it, would it be a good idea uh, for there to be some sort of crash in the retro market? <laughs> and basically the notion is that oh the the market has gotten too popular it's just a you know retro computing is a cool thing now or retro gaming uh and it's inflated all the prices um and so those of us you know the, who are true believers or whatever now we can't afford to to get the good stuff or we can't find the the really rare items or whatever and you know viewed that way would it be a good thing if the retro market just crashed and then all of us true believers could go back to to picking stuff up at reasonable prices <laughs> i think that's basically the um the implied uh, goodness of a crash so i'll just put it out there on the table what do you think is, is the market overheated is uh, are we ripe for a crash would a crash be a good thing uh, i'm gonna say uh, it would be a bad thing I mean, it's, that's a loaded question. But to me, if there was a crash, yes, the stuff would be cheap and plentiful, but that would mean uh, nobody's into the hobby anymore or not as many people. Uh, I, I don't know if there'd just be as much draw. I think I think half of the, the draw with this hobby is that, you know, we're kind of like a community. You know, we all have our own projects going on. Sometimes we help each other out and that sort of thing. So if that was all gone, it'd be kind of silly. That's just kind of my take on it. What do you think, John Mark? Well, in the year 2060, there's not going to be too many of us still around that'll be interested in this computer. Um, <laughs> but, of course, emulators will continue to be available. And during the time that there is high interest, if there's not enough Cocos to go around, we'll have to improve our um, FPGA emulators and and other emulators. Um so the, the interest peaking is just going to encourage more development. But if you hold on to this stuff, you know, past the year 2060, thinking it's really going to be valuable then, it's likely to start dropping in value after that point. So you're saying that the crash is coming <laughs> just because at some point we're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that that's probably true, although there'll be so few still around and available, they may be even so rare at that point that they'll still have a value. But I I have a feeling they the the interest will drop off as as we near our nineties. We we get to be about ninety years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still hacking away, yeah. Well you never know. <laughs> uh, I like that. Yeah. Um, that's, um, but yeah, I suppose that's probably true is that there is a sort of a, a I think all, a lot of us would like to see our kids be interested in this stuff. And a lot of us have been disappointed in that. <laughs> and it's probably a kind of a <laughs> unity circle, the overlap there. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I think there's a certain amount of, we're going to die off. Um, so um, I don't know. I will say there was a time if, if you've gotten here earlier <laughs> time when it was kind of like the, the, the apocalypse, uh, the retro apocalypse that uh, some of these people seem to be seeking where, you know, you'd, you'd walk around and 
you'd walk past a, a uh, you know, a dumpster or even just your neighbor put their trash out and there'd be some prime piece of retro gear that they're just finally getting rid of. And it'd just be right there on the top of the trash and you just stuff it under your arm, take a little peek around and see if anyone saw you take it. And then you just leave. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and you know, there were times that, I mean, you just about could get people to pay you to haul their stuff away. Certainly you could get big, big, hauls of stuff for little or no money um and um but it's because nobody was interested you know like you say and uh not nobody but you know there were a lot fewer <laughs> and you know there were, there were a few people sharing information um and uh you know, in fact, those people who built the hobby to some degree is the people sharing information and uh, collecting some of that stuff to make sure it didn't all go in the in the garbage can. I think some of us still feel like we need to keep things from going in the garbage can, and and to some extent, I think it depends on what you're talking about. Uh, if you see somebody throwing away a bus stuff, for example, don't let it go in the can. <laughs> um, no, no doubt. Um, but, uh, you know, at this point, if it says Apple on it, nobody will throw it away at all. You, you just about have to have a certified Apple disposal crew come and cry <laughs> it out of somebody's hands. Cause they're convinced that it's another Apple one that's going to sell for $400,000. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think there is a certain amount of problem there is that people think old is valuable and uh, they don't want to get rid of their Aquarius computer from from back then, and and you, they just can't be convinced that it's just crap. Um, <laughs> no offense to any Aquarius out, operators out there. Um, but, uh, edit that um, <laughs> uh, replace it with Vic Twenty if you'd rather. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think. Like I say, I think that this is sort of short-sighted. If you think that some, suddenly there being a crash of some sort would help, like I say, it might help you if there's something already sitting on the shelf somewhere, you know, so to speak, or maybe in reality down at the used game store, uh, if suddenly there was a crash. But but if there was a crash in any meaningful sense, then then your used game store is going to go out of business. And the stuff's not going to show up on eBay. And unless you just happen to be the one guy that sees something being thrown away, uh, which is going to be a lot less, going to be happening a lot less um, these days, uh, then you're not going to get anything at all. So I can understand the feeling if you're poor, if you are the one 22-year-old person that's interested in, in retro uh, gaming or retro computing and you just can't see yourself paying a hundred bucks for an old computer because um, it's just too expensive. Well, I, I sympathize with you because I used to feel that way at a different price point about some of this stuff. Um, but if it wasn't for the prices that they're holding, then uh, a lot of this stuff would just totally have been thrown away. Nobody would have even bothered to, to try to sell it. Um, yeah, so of course, you think the opposite when you're the one selling the equipment. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
I, I think this person just kind of overstated their case. I mean, they really were saying, I wish I could get a cheap, you know, cheap yeah. computer stuff. But it's like saying, uh, you know, I wish Apple stock would drop to five dollars a share so I could buy some. <laughs> exactly. It's just kind of lopsided. That's not really what you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about you, boys? I didn't hear much out of you on this. Well, you know, wishing for this to happen. Uh, what's the old saying? You can wish in one hand and crap in the other to see what you get first. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> You know, I can understand some of these exorbitant prices, but I think a crash, I mean, I would define a crash as like a, a reduction in price for like some drastic amount, like 70, 80%. I don't see that happening. Uh, certainly, I think that some things are way overpriced or people's expectations of some artifacts are way, way overpriced. But I'll give you an example. I mean, just taking out of the equation for a second, basic supply and demand, these products aren't being made anymore. People still want them. I only see the demand going up. Uh, I just got through reading uh, Ready Player One, which is a fantastic uh, book, by the way. I got the audio book. And when that thing uh, comes out in the movies, probably what, this year or next, uh, I have a feeling it's going to create even more demand. So if anything, prices might even go up. I don't see them crashing. Yeah. I hope I really hope in that movie they, they keep the color computer in its uh, role that it had in the book. Uh, yeah, I agree. That, that would be awesome, uh, and and a, a big validation to me. <laughs> Screw you, Apple guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, certainly uh, the Dungeons and Daggereth uh, is part of that. Uh, plays quite you know importantly in the in the book. So I can't see that they would leave that out. But who knows? Hollywood screws up stuff all the time. Right. Or they have an Apple II playing Dungeons and Daggereth or something like that. Oh, but no, no. Yeah, well, I hope not too, but you never know. Um, I did tweet to uh, to the the author a couple of times saying, "Please don't mess that up," but I never got a reply. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, anyway. but I, I will let, let me just get one more point though. In the in the terms of the cocoa market, prices have fluctuated for cocoa twos and cocoa threes. But I mean, you, I think I sent you guys a link today. Somebody's asking three hundred dollars. Or a cocoa three that's not even you in the box. So you yeah, know yeah. now what you ask and what you get are two different things. But we kind of see this fluctuation in price too in the cocoa market, not drastic swings, but it happens. So small, tiny corrections may happen occasionally, but in general, things tend to shift within a pretty small window of price. I think, at least for the cocoa threes. Well, and don't forget the incredible value that you add to something when you put a New York Times property tag on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah the thing's still up for sale still there <laughs> oh lord is anybody else got something here or have we covered this one i think we've uh beat this one to death <laughs> all right uh, try not to say that <laughs> yeah, I, guess that was John. yeah. I, I guess i was uh, just concerned that you might hold on for something a little bit too long hoping it would climb even higher and higher and higher and and you miss a good chance to sell something when it was really at its peak price. Oh, yeah. You mean like the guy with the ag vision? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. He got a, he got that one at a good price. That one does kind of irritate me because I feel, feel like I promoted that ag vision and made it valuable to people who otherwise would not have wanted it. Yeah, they wouldn't and, even know about it. 
and then when the, then it shows up for fifty bucks and they pick it up and then I, and then I, it's they probably would have not even bought it and I didn't get a chance to buy it. <laughs> so yeah, that just, I, that just goes to show the power that you have in the community, John. Well, well, maybe that's it. The podcast <laughs> is getting out. It doesn't always feel that powerful, <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, I think we probably covered this one. So why don't we uh, take another break and then uh, we'll cover something else. Hi, this is Mike Rohn with uh, Boise Pete. We are at the Southern Fried Game Room Expo. How you doing, Boise? I'm doing good. I'm really excited about this event, Mike. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Wow, this is, uh, this is pretty amazing. They have probably 75 different uh, pinball machines here. Everything, uh, every kind of a vintage game you can imagine. Uh, when, when you first come in, there's a giant Pac-Man game. It's the world's largest Pac-Man game. It's about eight feet tall, and it has a massive tricolor LED panel. It looks incredible. There's a console about five feet in front of it with uh, controls so two players can play at the same time. And uh, the colors on it are pretty amazing. Of course, you can see it from, from far away. There's a big crowd here, but we haven't had any problems getting to play games. There's always games available to jump on. And uh, even if you have to wait for a game that you like, uh, you know, people generally finish up their game and move on to something else. So uh, it's, it's pretty great with such a large crowd, crowd here. Uh, they have a lot of really large driving games here. Uh, they have a boat racing game several race car games where you can, you know, you sit in the seat and they're side-by-side racing. One that's uh, pretty massive is a Sega, uh, looks like a Ferrari kind of race game, but it's probably about five feet wide. You sit in this thing and it has three CRT monitors. It's not flat panels, it's, it's old-school CRT. You've got uh, like 20-inch monitors and Two of them provide your peripheral views, and of course the one the center is your, your main driving view. But uh, the colors are, are pretty neat on it. I just can't imagine how much this thing, thing weighs and how hard it was to get it in here. There is something here for everybody. Uh, we got driving games, shooting games, Galaga, you know, all your favorites, uh, Defender, Asteroids. I played a game called Clax that I'd never seen before. Let's see, I saw Crystal Castle, that's a, a 3D game. I spent a lot of time playing Raiden and Raiden 2. The uh, Atari Vector graphic games were really cool. You know, Asteroids is a good example of those. Star Wars, that, that's a vector graphic game, that was fun, I got to play that one. Yeah, Tempest, that's another one. I think uh, Boise's playing Tempest, we'll, we'll go see what he's doing. Okay, Boise's playing Tempest, let's see how angry he gets. Hey, Boise, uh, what do you think of the show, and uh, what stood out for you so far? Uh, really having a good time. Uh, the pinballs are really cool. There's a lot of great pinball games that I haven't seen. I've been really enjoying playing those, and, of course, the arcade games are everywhere. Well, as this is a gaming event, there are also uh, a very large area of open tables for people to play role-playing games. Uh, there's got to be a few thousand people here. What were some of the games that, uh, some of your favorite games or things that you got to see here? Well, I haven't played arcade games like this in a while in terms of the amount and quantity. So I had a good time playing things like Tempest, which I really enjoy. I don't get to see that arcade game very much. Yeah. Asteroids was another great one that I played in 
around 1994, Atari came out with something called Primal Rage, which is more of like a dinosaur fighting game. So I've been playing a lot of that. But on top of that, I've been playing a surprising amount of pinball games. Uh, there's pinball games. There are pinball games here from Gottlieb, Williams, just you know, going all the way back to the Bally. 50s and 60s, Bally. Um, some of these old pinball games have these uh, the counters at the scoreboard are not digital, they're mechanical, so they have this great sound when they click clack as they're you know rotating and if you get the ball going really, really fast on bumpers and scoring a lot, the thing just keeps rolling and rolling. It's just a yeah. good old mechanical sound, right? So having a lot of fun with that. Pinball especially. Surprised how much pinball I played. There's a, yeah, there's a surprising number of pinball machines here. So that was kind of my draw to the event, too, is uh, you probably see more video games. Uh, you know, not that they're lightweight by any means, right. but a pinball machine is uh, sizable and fragile to mm-hmm. move around. So it's, yeah. it's really cool. Uh, some of them did break down, but there's some techs here that would uh, yeah. come and service them and get them back in business pretty quickly. So The, the other thing I was impressed with is the industry surrounding new arcade game cabinets and the technology behind those uh, I saw very impressive and I think you played one right on the side of me uh, arcade system with a very nice menu very awesome playability new cabinet huge uh, LCD screen just well put together and uh, I think it was like $3,500 it wasn't cheap by any means but it just goes to show you how different companies different people are making uh, inroads into merging this old technology with new and bringing that playability back. So, what do you think about these types of events in general? Uh, what are your thoughts about going to them, or whether people should go to them? Well, I look at this kind of like a cocoa fest in a way, right? You've got a bunch of adherence to a particular uh, genre. In this case, video games, arcade games, pinball, or it could be retro computing. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of people here, and you get to see a lot of different. Uh, faces and uh, get a lot of different perspectives. It kind of ties in with our cocoa hobby because it's harkening back to an era where we were younger and played these types of games. Uh, I think it's really cool. It's a great way to spend a weekend. It's a fantastic place. And despite the large number of people, I was always able to find a game to play. So it was great. I think it's really inspiring to go to these kinds of events for a lot of the reasons that, that you spoke about is that you see that there are large numbers of people that are still interested in the technology from this era, like you said, just like a Cocoa Fest. So, yeah, if you get the chance to go to the Southern Fried Game Room Expo, I definitely suggest yeah. that you go, and you won't be disappointed. No, it's it's also a very colorful event. There's so much liveliness. All of the games are beautiful. There's that beautiful artwork on the pinball games. Yeah, absolutely. The cabinets, everything is just pops out. It's just a, a lively and vibrant place to be. Uh, good experience, and, and we've had a great time. Any Anything else? Yeah, pinball forever. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Boise, and uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll sign off here from the Southern Fried Game Room Expo. All right, welcome back. We're going to have another discussion. Um, this time, um, you know, recently in the community, we've gotten, uh, uh, thanks to Tim Lindner, um, We've gotten a, a successful emulation in MAME of the Tandy Speech Sound Pack, um, which was a long time coming. Um, we did cover the Speech Sound Pack in one of the earlier episodes, uh, tech, tech segments. Um, but for those who don't recall, the Speech Sound Pack is, is a conglomeration of chips, um, which includes a, a PIC microcontroller, 
which is, of course is another CPU to emulate. Um, and then of course it's got a uh, uh, SPO two fifty six uh, speech uh, chip, which you know that's uh, a whole separate ball of wax to emulate. That's <laughs> not very easy. And then an uh, AY three eighty nine ten, I guess, uh, sound chip. That was probably not too hard to emulate in the grand scheme of things, but still something else to do. Um, so put it, you have to put all that together uh, into a fairly, um, uh, you know, complex mechanism. Anyway, good job, Tim. I'm glad you finally got that put together. And, uh, um, you know, it's a, definitely a, a boon to the community to be able to have that in emulation. Uh, so the people who don't, uh, I, I don't know how rare those carts are. I see them a fair amount, but they do go for 50, 60 bucks or whatever. I, I've heard a lot of people complain that they're a little too expensive. Um, so I, I think there's probably a shortage of them versus how many people would like to have them in the community. And so now that they're emulated, uh, people can use the games that do take advantage of them. I think, um, Ganabwana and and uh, uh, what else? Uh, there was another Steve Bjork game that takes advantage of the speech sound pack. Uh, anyway, there's other, there is software that can take advantage of it, and if nothing else, you can mess around with it in Basic or whatever. And so, uh, just a side note, as we mentioned, also at the same about the same time, uh, Tim also uh, added emulation for the. Uh, the Games Master cartridges, I've been calling it, uh, which is um, my ch my uh, cartridge with the SN76489 uh, audio chip. So now we've got uh, a couple of options for uh, games to have hardware audio uh, for, for background music or whatever. Um, and they're freely available to anyone for the price of an emulator. Um, and so... Um, I guess my question is, or the topic is, how does this change the market? Uh, if you're a developer and you wanted to write a Cocoa game, um, you'd have to consider, is it worth the effort to write a Cocoa game that uses a speech sound pack? Um, if not that many people have them, and does it change that calculus if anybody has them, just to, as long as they're using emulation? So I'm going to throw the floor open there. Um, let's, let's ask our resident game expert, Neil, what he thinks. Uh, <laughs> how does this change the Cocoa game market? You know, it's definitely going to help people that don't have the uh, actual physical hardware. Now they're going to be able to use it. I think it's a good thing that it's done in emulation now. It's also going to be good for uh, if you want to do future development as well. So that's my question, I guess, is, is – um, if you were on the fence about developing or using the speech sound pack, uh, for audio in a game, are you less on the fence now, or are you oh, more oh, likely definitely. to do it? Oh, for sure. For developing now, it's going to be so much easier. I think it'll be it'll encourage people. Yeah. What do you think, John Mark? Um, I've worked with this chip. I, I think Radio Shack used to sell this chip for about five dollars. Um, I have very fond memories of working with it. Um, I wound up. Uh, writing the phonetic spelled language to uh, work with this chip, and um, I'm I'm encouraged uh, that we can emulate this. And and do you think it changes the market for games at all? Do you, do you uh, 
You think it makes it more likely there'll be games that use this sort of hardware? Um, well, it, it might improve it by 5 or 10%. I mean, if nothing else, if you are a game developer and didn't have access to the hardware, now you don't have that as an excuse for not supporting the hardware. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know. What do you think the um, the breakdown is on people who run Coco games? You know, If you just want to play the games, uh, how many is the people that are maintaining hardware setups to play the games and how much of it is people that are just playing the games and emulation. Well, I would think more people, if they're into Coco gaming, would use the real hardware, but that's just my guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm agreeing with Neil on that. You think so, Bozy? I do. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Neil, but yeah, I, I agree with Neil, and I, I'll follow up because you have real joysticks on real Cocos and the real experience. Uh, to me, emulation is for maybe trying out a game to see if you like it or not or cracking it like I did with striptease. But if you're going to really want to play a game at a Coco, I'm not going to do it in an emulator. And I think most people want the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. I know I do. (laughs) Yeah. I'm definitely uh, in that camp too. And I think the, uh, I mean, it is good that these emulations are available, especially for people that develop, you know, on modern computers uh, because they can test those things and prototype them all, you know, on their modern computer uh, without having to download that and run it on a real uh, speech sound pack. So it should be helpful from that end, I think for sure. Well, cool. I know um, if I could shift over to the, the emulation for the, 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 uh, the SN76489 chip uh, on my game master cartridge. Um, I know it's been uh, helpful in the, uh, at least to get um, uh, Simon <laughs> uh, working with the chip. Um, you know, he doesn't even have the hardware um, and uh, I probably, probably could send him one, but uh, he actually didn't even ask for one. So, <laughs> um, uh, and so, uh, you know, he's been able to do some, some cool uh, uh, demo work there um, using the, the emulation and uh, it sounds great. Um, and, uh, I think him doing that is helping to change some minds or at least convince some people that, Hey, maybe using this chip is not such a bad idea. There is a question there and it's like, he's kind of asking for some slight differences in the hardware, uh, which are not unreasonable to do. Uh, but then, uh, uh, then we need slight differences in the emulation. <laughs> so hopefully that's not opening a can of worms. Um, but uh, I do think getting stuff into the hands of developers is, is a plus. When I was working with the sound speech pack about how slow it is, uh, how unresponsive it is, that right there is what made me settle into the, uh, wow, now I can see why nobody ever used this thing. When <laughs> 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 um, you're just tapping at it with basic uh, and making it say hello or whatever. Well, that sounds, that seems pretty cool. But if you're actually, uh, trying to make it sing, uh, it actually doesn't respond very well. I don't know how many of you guys have ever maybe tried uh, uh, using it at that level. Anyway, the the unloved sound speech pack uh, to some degree earned its status. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I, I know in the game Gant- Gantlet, you know, the Gauntlet clone on the Coco yeah. from Dicom, yeah. it uses it, and it's hilarious. I mean, that 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 speech pack just goes off on its own. 
That's <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, that's cool. All right. Well, anything else on this one? I I just worked with the chip directly. Um, I interfaced it directly to a cocoa, and um, I was able to make it generate any of the. I think there were sixty four phonemes. And I was able to um, really make it talk and say things. And um, I, I learned a lot about um, phonetic spelling and things like that. Um, you know, like a short I-Z is yeah. is. And a long I-Z is eyes. And um, yeah. uh, the, there was a phoneme that was D-H. And it was like for the versus what the or the and recognizing that that the D-H-E sounded different than T-H-E. Well, the um, so that you're talking about the, the speech ship there. Um, there was somebody that was uh, uh, reproducing a, a Tony DeStefano uh, project using that one recently and selling them on eBay. Um, I don't know if you saw those. Yeah, but yeah this, everybody uh, would agree that the uh, the other speech packs, you know, are better than what you have to do on the uh, the speech sound pack from Radio Shack. <laughs> yeah, you know, just because you can directly write to the chip, I think that makes a huge difference. Right. Yeah. Real Talker, Super Voice, you know, all those built on basically the same chipset. Mm -hmm. Easier to talk uh, interface with. It's just really disappointing uh, that that pick chip on there must just be so damn slow. <laughs> it's, it's one thing; it's kind of a pain in the butt to just have to check for status before you do it right. But you know, you can do it. It's it's not complicated code. But when you check for status before you do it right, and then you can only do like fifty writes in a second, <laughs> that's slow. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> So it's hard to do complex sound with uh, with slow writes. Anyway, well, uh, kind of veered off a little bit here on the uh, thing, but I think we got our answers. We're hoping at least that um, we get a little wider exposure to the speech sound pack, and uh, um, it, if nothing else, at least it's no longer an excuse for developers not to support it. <laughs> um, um, maybe that means that we'll get some new games or something that do support it. Um, although I'm still, uh, advocating for, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the other solution, but, uh, that's in the emulator too. So, uh, you can't avoid either one. <laughs> All right. Are we beat this one to death? Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. It's dead. <laughs> it's dead. Jim. All right. <laughs> Cool. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back with uh, the rest of the show. Why buy just a video game from Atari or Intellivision? Invest in the TRS-80 color computer from Radio Shack. Unlike games, it has a real computer keyboard. With the TRS-80 color computer, the whole family can learn computing at home. Plays great games, too. Under $300, the TRS-80 color computer. Only from Radio Shack. A Tandy company. All right, everyone. Welcome back. This is John, and we're here with kind of a mini tech talk. Not going to go into too much detail today. Um, just wanted to kind of clear up. Well, hopefully clear up. Probably just irritate a few people. <laughs> um, um, there's a t some talk recently on the uh, Coco mailing list 
uh, about well, it comes down to the, about the difference between uh, assembly language code and machine code. And well, the, the uh, I was kind of disappointed, and to, as far as I'm concerned, you, you're really talking about a, a distinction without a difference. Um, machine code and assembly language code are pretty much the same thing. Now. Uh, some people kind of will go down into the weeds and say, no, 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 machine code is way different. You're talking about putting numbers into memory um, and, you know, directly manipulating those numbers. Um, and, yeah, okay, I understand the difference. You're not using an assembler. Um, but just because you're not using an assembler um, and you're not typing in letters doesn't really mean you're somehow using a different language. Um, fundamentally, when you when you're talking or talking to yourself in your head as you're manipulating code that way, you're not thinking to yourself, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a 23, and then I'm gonna 35 it on down to to the 74 at the bottom, uh, and uh, then I'm gonna 99 it, uh, and uh, and then 74 five times, and then uh, 71 again." Um, you know, you don't, you're not thinking like that. You know, you're thinking, well, I'm going to move, uh, this uh, value into the A register and then I'm going to compare it to what's in the B register. And then I'm going to do a, a, a test against, uh, to see if the, the, the certain flag is set and then I'll branch and whatever. And so even though you're using kind of a different alphabet, shall we say, um, you're really still dealing in the same language. Um, so I know it's probably not going to convince some people. Uh, I've had this argument uh, from time to time, uh, even back in the day. Um, but, uh, you know, some people will insist that it's somehow different. But, um, like you say, I, I don't really think there's a meaningful difference um, between using the the assembly language mnemonics and and using the numbers, other than the numbers, you know, okay, it's a little more difficult. It's a little more macho or whatever. Um, you know, someone brought up, well, what about, you know, if you're entering a code, you know, in machine language, you know, if you're typing the numbers in yourself and you get to a branch, um, you know, you can't branch to a label. You have to branch with a specific offset. You have to calculate the offset. Okay, well... Still, at that point, I don't think that makes the, means you're speaking a different language. It just means you're acting as an assembler instead of <laughs> instead of running an assembler. You're just doing the job yourself. But again, you're not really speaking a different language. You're conveying the same kind of information, the same blocks of of knowledge or thought or whatever. You're just doing it with a, kind of a different alphabet, a different uh, set of uh, tokens um and so uh, i'm trying to think you know if there's um you know is there it when you speak japanese if you use uh maybe this is i'm going to turn myself into a bad example here but if, if you use the kanji characters versus the katakana or whatever is it are those two different languages or is it two different representations of the same language as i understand it it's the same language could be wrong <laughs> um, but uh, 
Um, you know, thinking back to like uh, the uh, the Rosetta Stone. Um, I think uh, one of the languages on there was, uh, of course, hieroglyphics, and then I think the uh, the others were uh, uh, Greek and Demotic. And I think Demotic is essentially the same language as what's written in hieroglyphics. You know, hieroglyphics. Uh, it's an Egyptian language. It's just sort of spelled differently. Um, and so that all to, you know, that, that, you know, difference is what helped them figure out how to, uh, translate hieroglyphics. But again, it's basically the same language. Again, I could be wrong. I'm not a linguist. So these analogies, <laughs> these analogies are coming from an engineer and not from a linguist. So, you know, your mileage may vary. Um, I hope I'm getting the point across. Um, so yeah, if you, if you want to make the distinction between, um, uh, you know, using numbers uh, to 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 write into memory directly versus you know using uh, letters to represent the instructions and labels and that sort of thing. Then okay, if you're using the numbers, you can call that machine language. If you're using the the letters, you can call that assembly language. If you're just determined to say that there's a difference. Um, and, you know, while you may be a little more macho or gung-ho, if you're working in just nothing but the numbers, you're not really doing anything all that different. You still basically are, in my opinion, you're basically still just doing assembly language. Um, and it, it's it's just really not all that different. You're not, you know, like you said, it, it's you can make the distinction, but there's not really a difference. So, there. <laughs> That's my opinion on the uh, the difference between assembly language and machine language is that there really isn't much difference um you know you can uh, make more of it if you want to but you know you're really just spinning your wheels um i think the original question came from john mark and he had an instructor who wanted to, them to use machine language versus assembly language um which i think in that case what he really meant was he wanted them to to uh, enter code using a, a, a monitor program uh, and, you know, calculate offsets themselves and enter the opcodes themselves. So what he really wanted is them to do machine language or assembly language without an assembler. Um, and, you know, that's pretty hardcore, gung-ho, whatever. It's basically a, the equivalent of saying, back in my day, we had to walk to school uphill both ways in the snow with no shoes or whatever this you know one of those things that old folks like to do to young folks to to <laughs> make them feel embarrassed about how easy they have it um and okay yeah it's it it is a little easier with an assembler um the difference between uh, using an assembler and using a higher level language is already a pretty big jump moving you all the way out to using binary values instead of an assembler is really just uh just piling on <laughs> But uh, anyway, I think by now it's probably clear. Uh, if you if you're doing your assembly language, then uh, you know, in my opinion, you're already kind of uh, you're already cool. You don't have to prove it by doing machine language. You know, entering the numbers yourselves, because you know that's like speaking French with a different accent. It's really no different. <laughs> so there now I've managed to insult uh, the Quebecois and, uh, and uh, the Cajun and, and everyone else uh, as well as uh, anybody who believes that machine language is worth learning by itself so anyway <laughs> mm -hmm. 
maybe some other time we can get into the, the, the discussion of whether or not learning assembly language for one machine uh, is uh, a, a reasonable step for learning towards learning assembly language for another machine. In other words, is the assembly language between two machines essentially the same or are they really fundamentally different? But I'm going to keep my opinion on that one to myself for now. Uh, and so here we are. Uh, this is the Coco crew. Uh, so uh, let's just say Coco forever and be done. All right. So we'll get on with the rest of the show. Thanks. New from Carriage Return, New Line Cinema. Good morning, Major. Sir, why was I brought here? What you're about to hear is classified top secret presidential. What is this place? This is where you'll train. Major, the war isn't going well for Earth. This is the alien's newest attack ship, the TRG-5. We need you to infiltrate the alien base, steal the core components, and then return them for analysis. Pay attention, Major. Your suit will absorb radiation, but only a limited amount. There are three decontamination chambers in the facility. It's critical that you reach each one if you want to live. We only have four weeks to prep for this. What do you need from me? Your best, Major. Major, do you hear that sound? That sound means you're dead. Too much radiation. Reset your suit and try again. Why did you pick me? Because I think you're the best man for the job. Because we've only got one shot at this. What if I fail? Then we all die. Power up your suit, Major. This is your electro gun. Aim it and fire. Remember, each time you fire your weapon and use your cloak, you're exposing your suit to even more radiation. Major, it's time. I've reached the access point. Wish me luck. I'm going in. Shock Trooper rated Coco 13. Welcome back to Neil's Corner, hidden away near the end of the podcast. Yes, just like the back of a magazine. Just without those sketchy advertisements. Well, I'm sure you can guess I will be reviewing this month after hearing that most amazing commercial. Yep, you guessed it. Shock Trooper. I was seriously going to talk about Shock Trooper in the near future, but that commercial just got me in the mood to do it now. Alright, here's the breakdown. Shock Trooper. It was programmed by Rob Shaw right in the smack dab middle of the 80s in 1985. It was published by Mark Data Products. It requires a Coco 1, 2, or 3 with 32K of memory and a joystick. It can be loaded by cassette or disc or any of the new fancy storage options we now have available for the Coco. Shock Trooper is an arcade-style platformer-type game. It has static screen boards and several of them for each level. On each screen, you want to destroy the power generators that are creating a radiation force field. These force fields are blocking your path on certain parts of the board, and you must stop them before you can continue through. To make the game even more challenging, there are dead zones where your gun doesn't work, And when you do use your gun, there's a time limit of how long you can use it in one instance without absorbing too much radiation from it. Along the journey, you also rescue humans as you progress through the game. I've always liked this game because it has a strategy puzzle element to it. I spent a lot of time playing this game back in the day, and I still play it from time to time now. I put this game up as a benchmark game for the Color Computer 1 and 2, as the graphics are incredible for a Color Computer 1 and 2 platform, and the sound is just amazing. At the risk of sounding like a geek, Well, who's kidding who? I'm definitely a geek. I used to load this game up sometimes just to hear the intro music. I even had my Coco wired into my stereo amplifier and would crank it up. The music you just heard in the commercial for the game is the actual music from this game that was sampled in. 
I was seriously surprised when Mike and Boise made this commercial a few weeks ago when they were at Southern Fried Game Expo. It was a real treat getting this in my email out of the blue. The best part was Mike didn't even know how much I liked the music in this game. Huge props goes out to Mike and Boise for pulling this one off. Now I'm sure you want to go give this game a spin. If you don't have it in your collection, you're in luck. It is available on both Color Computer Archive website and L. Curtis Boyle's Coco Game website. I also just noticed a mention on, on uh, Curtis's website that a cheat code exists for this game, but it has been removed by request from the author. Hmm, I wonder what that code is. Well, that's all for now. Until next month, game on and Coco forever. Myro? It'll catch on. Myro? It'll catch on. Myro. 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 Catch on. Well, we find ourselves once again at the end of the podcast. We hope you enjoyed episode 25 of the Coco Crew podcast. I would like to thank our host, John Linville, for all his hard work and dedication, researching all the monthly news articles and providing informative tech segments each month. Also, I'd like to thank Mike Rowan for creating all these amazing sound bits and commercials. You really seem to outdo yourself each month with these. Big thanks goes out to Boise Pete for sitting in on the podcast and being a part of it. Nice to see you joining us often. John will have to get you a show email address soon. And I also can't forget to thank you, John Mark, from Glenside, for being with us during this month's recording. We appreciate all the work you do for Glenside and creating their newsletters. Last but not least, a huge thanks to all of you who listen to us each month, and we thank you for the support. Until next month, Coco and Retro Forever. Oh, and we hope to see you at Tandy Assembly.